23 of the air of redcliffe this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org the air of redcliffe by charlotte yong chapter 23 they hadna sailed a league a league a league but barely 3 when the lift grew dark and the wind grew loud and girly grew the sea sir patrick spens old ballad guy's evening with the ashfords threw down many of the barriers in the way of intimacy he soon made friends with the children beginning with the two years old baby and ending with gaining even the shy and sturdy robin who could not hold out any longer when it appeared that sir guy could tell him the best place for finding sea urchins the present objects of his affections but we should have to go through the park said edward disconsolately when guy had described the locality well why not we must not go into the park cried the children in chorus not go into the park exclaimed guy looking at mrs ashford in amazement then as it flashed on him that it was his part to give leave he added i did not know i was such a dog in the manger i thought all the parish walked naturally in the park i don't know what else it is good for if markham will lock it up i must tell him to give you a key the boys were to come the next day to be shown the way to the bay of urchins and thenceforth they became his constant followers to such a degree that their parents feared they were very troublesome but he assured them to the contrary and no mother in the world could have found it in her heart to keep them away from so much happiness there was continually a rushing home with a joyous outcry mamma sir guy gave me a ride on his horse mamma sir guy helped us to the top of that great rock oh papa sir guy says we may come out shooting with him to-morrow if you will let us mamma papa look do you see i shot this rabbit my own self with sir guy's gun papa papa sir guy showed us his boat and he says he will take us out to the shag rock if you will give us leave this was beyond what papa still further beyond what mamma could like since the sea was often very rough in parts near the shag there were a good many sunken rocks and boys water and rocks did not appear by any means a safe conjunction so mrs ashford put the matter off for the present by the unseasonableness of the weather and mr ashford asked one or two of the fishermen how far they thought landing on the shag a prudent attempt they did not profess to have often tried they always avoided those rocks but it could hardly be very dangerous they said for whence the guy was a boy he used to be about there for ever at first with an old boatman and afterwards alone in his little boat they had often wondered he was trusted there but if any knew the rocks he did still mrs ashford could not make up her mind to like the idea and the boys came to sir guy in a state of great discomposure never mind he said perhaps we shall manage it in the summer we will get your father to go out with us himself and in the meantime who likes to come with me after the rabbits in cliffstone copse farmer holt will thank robin for killing a dozen or so for he makes grievous complaints of them guy conducted the boys out of sight of the sea and to console them gave them so much more use of the gun than usual that it might be considered as a wonder that he escaped being shot yet it did not prevent a few sighs being spent on the boating can't you forget it said guy smiling you have no loss after all for we are likely to have no boating weather this long time hark don't you hear the ground swell what's that said the boys standing still to listen to the distant surge like a continuous low moan or roar far far away 
though there was no wind and the sea was calm it is a sound that comes before stormy weather said guy it is as if the sea was gathering up its forces for the tempest but what how tell me what it really is said robin i suppose it is the wind on the sea before it has reached us said guy how solemn it is too solemn for the boys who began all manner of antics and noises by way of silencing the impression of awfulness guy laughed and joined in their fun but as soon as they were gone home he stood in silence for a long time listening to the sound and recalling the mysterious dreams and fancies with which it was connected in his boyhood and which he had never wished thus to drive away the storm he had predicted came on and by the evening of the following day sea and wind were thundering in their might against the foot of the crags guy looked from the window the last thing at night and saw the stars twinkling overhead with that extreme brilliancy which is often seen in the intervals of fitful storms and which suggested thoughts that sent him to sleep in a vague soothing dream he was awakened by one tremendous continued roar of sea wind and thunder combined such was the darkness that he could not see the form of the window till a sheet of pale blue lightning brought it fully out for the moment he sat up and listened to the glorious voice that followed it thought what an awful night at sea and remembered when he used to fancy it would be the height of felicity to have a shipwreck at redcliffe and shocked mrs bernard by inhuman wishes that a ship would only come and be wrecked how often he had he watched through sounds like these for a minute gun nay he had once actually called up poor arnaud in the middle of the night for an imaginary signal redcliffe bay was a very dangerous one a fine place for a wreck with its precipitous crags its single safe landing-place and the great shag stone on the eastern side with a whole progeny of newly sunken rocks dreaded in rough weather by the fishermen themselves but it was out of the ordinary track of vessels and there were only a few traditions of terrible wrecks long before his time it seemed as if he had worked up his fancy again for the sound of a gun was for a moment in his ear it was lost in the rush of hail against the window and the moaning of the wind round the old house but presently it returned too surely to be imaginary he sprang to the window and the broad flickering glare of lightning revealed the black cliff and pale sea-line then all was dark and still while the storm was holding its breath for the thunderburst which in a few more seconds rolled overhead shaking door and window throughout the house as the awful sound died away in a moment's lull came the gun again he threw up the window and as the blast of wind and rain swept howling into the room it brought another report to close the window light his candle throw on his clothes and hasten downstairs was the work of a very few seconds luckily the key of the boathouse was lying on the table in the hall where he had left it after showing the boat to the ashford boys he seized it caught up the pocket telescope put on a rough coat and proceeded to undo the endless fastenings of the hall door a very patience trying occupation and when completed the gusts that were eddying round the house ready to force their way in everywhere took advantage of the first opening to blow out his candle however they had in one way done good service for the shower had been as brief as it was violent and the inky cloud was drifting away furiously towards the east leaving the moon visible near her setting and allowing her white cold light to shine forth contrasting with the distant sheets of pale lightning growing fainter and fainter 
Guy ran across the court, round to the west side of the house, and struggled up the slope in the face of the wind, which almost swept him down again, and when at length he had gained the summit, came rushing against him with such force that he could hardly stand. He did, however, keep his ground and gazed out over the sea. The swell was fearful, marked by the silver light on one side where it caught the moonbeams, and the black shade on the other ever alternating so that the eye could not fix on them for a moment the spray leapt high in its whiteness and the shag stood up hard bold and black the waves thundered bursting on the cliff and high as he stood the spray dashed almost blinding in his face while the wind howled round him as if gathering its might for the very purpose of wrenching him from the cliff but he stood firm and looked out again to discern clearly what he thought he had seen it was the mast of a vessel seen plainly against the light silvery distance of sea on the reef west of the shag it was in a slanting direction and did not move he could not doubt that the ship had struck on the dangerous rocks at the entrance of the bay and as his eyes became more accustomed to the unusual light and made out what objects were or were not familiar he could perceive the ship herself he looked with the glass but could see no one on board nor were any boats in sight but observing some of the lesser rocks he beheld some moving figures on them help instant help was his thought and he looked towards the cove lights were in the cottage windows and a few sounds came up to him as if the fishing population were astir he hastened to the side of the cliff which was partly clothed with brushwood there was a descent it could hardly be called a path which no one ventured to attempt but himself and a few of the boldest birds nesting boys of the village but he could lose no time and scrambling leaping swinging himself by the branches he reached the foot of the cliff in safety and in five minutes more was on the little quay at the end of the steep street of the cove the quay was crowded with the fisher people and there was a strange confusion of voices some saying all was lost some that the crew had got to the rock, others that someone ought to put off and help them, others that a boat would never live in such a sea, and an old telescope was in great requisition. Ben Robinson, a tall, hardy young man of five-and-twenty, wild, reckless, high-spirited and full of mischief and adventure, was standing on a pile at the extreme verge above the foaming water, daring the others to go with him to the rescue and though jonas ledbury a feeble old man was declaring in a piteous tone it was a sin and a shame to let so many poor creatures be lost in sight without one man stirring to help them yet all stood irresolute watching the white breakers dashing on the shag and the high waves that swelled and rolled between do you know where the crew are exclaimed guy shouting as loud as he could for the noise of the winds and waves was tremendous there sir on the flat black stone said the fortunate possessor of the telescope some ten or eleven of them i fancy all huddled together ay ay said old ledbury poor creatures there they be and what is to be done i can't say i never saw a boat in such a sea since the night poor jack my brother was lost and will ray with him i see them said guy who had in the meantime looked through his glass how soon is high water it was an important question, for the rocks round the shag were covered before full tide, even when the water was still. There was a looking up at the moon, and then Guy and the fishermen simultaneously exclaimed that it would be in three hours, which gave scarcely an hour to spare. 
without another word guy sprang from the key to the boathouse unlocked it and by example showed that the largest boat was to be brought out the men helped him vigorously and it stood on the narrow pebbly beach the only safe landing place in the whole bay he threw into it a coil of rope and called out in his clear commanding voice five to go with me hanging back was at an end they were brave men who had wanted nothing but a leader and with Sagai at their head were ready for anything not five but five and twenty were at his command and even in the hurry of the moment a strong affectionate feeling filled his eyes with tears as he saw these poor fellows ready to trust their lives in his hands thank you thank you he exclaimed not all though you ben robinson harry ray charles ray ben ledbury what green they were all young men without families such as could best be spared and each as his name was called answered here's the guy and came forward with a resolute satisfied air it would be best to have a second boat said guy mr brown to the owner of the telescope will you lend yours tis the strongest and lightest thank you martin had best steer it he knows the rocks and he went on to name the rest of the crew but at the last there was a moment's pause as if he doubted a tall athletic young fisherman took advantage of it to press forward please your honour sir guy may not i go better not jem answered guy remember in a lower voice your mother has no one but you here he called cheerfully jack horn you pull a good oar now then are we ready all ready yes sir the boat was launched not without great difficulty in the face of such a sea the men stoutly took their oars casting a look forward to at the rocks then at the quay and on the face of their young steersman little they guessed the intense emotion that swelled in his breast as he took the helm to save life or to lose it enjoying the enterprise yet with the thought that his lot might be early death glad it was right thus to venture earnest to save those who had freely trusted to him and rapidly though most earnestly recalling his own repentance all this was in his mind though nothing was on his face but cheerful resolution night though it was tidings of the wreck had reached the upper part of the village and mr ashford putting his head out of his window to learn the cause of the sounds in the street was informed by many voices that a ship was on the shag reef and that all were lost to hasten to the cove to learn the truth and see if any assistance could yet be afforded was his instant thought and he had not taken many steps before he was overtaken by a square sturdy figure wrapped in an immense greatcoat so mr markham you're on your way to see about this wreck why i said markham roughly though not with the repellent manner usual with him towards mr ashford i must be there or that boy will be in the thickest of it wherever is mischief there is he i only wonder he has not broken his neck long ago by mischief you mean danger yes i hope he has not heard of this wreck for if he has no power on earth would keep him back from it comparing the reports they had heard the clergyman and steward walked on markham's anxiety actually making him friendly they reached the top of the steep street of the cove but though there was a good view of the sea from thence they could distinguish nothing for another cloud was rising and had obscured the moon they were soon on the quay now still more crowded and heard the exclamations of those who were striving to keep their eyes on the boats there's one no yes tis 
that's the guy's the guy exclaimed markham you don't mean he is gone then i am too late what could you be thinking of you old fool jonas to let that boy go you'll never see him again i can tell you mercy here comes another squall there's an end of it then markham seemed to derive some relief from railing at the fishermen singly and collectively while mr ashford tried to learn the real facts and gather opinions as to the chance of safety the old fisherman held that there was frightful risk though the attempt was far from hopeless they said the young men were all good at their oars the guy knew the rocks very well and the chief fear was that he might not know how to steer in such a sea but they had seen that though daring he was not rash they listened submissively to mr markham but communicated in an undertone to the vicar how vain it would have been to attempt to restrain Sagai. why sir said old james robinson he spoke just like the captain of a man of war and for all mr markham says i don't believe he'd have been able to gainsay him your son is gone with him ay sir and i would not say one word to stop him i know Sagai won't run him into risk for nothing and i hope please god if ben comes back safe it may be the steadying of him twas he that volunteered to go before the guy came they say yes sir said the old man with a pleased yet melancholy look ben's brave enough but there's the difference he'd have done it for the lark and to dare the rest but the guy does it with thought and because it is right i wish it may be the steadying of ben the shower rushed over them again shorter and less violent than the former one but driving in most of the crowd and only leaving on the quay the vicar the steward and a few of the most anxious fishermen they could see nothing for the dark slanting line of rain swept over the waves joining together the sea and thick low cloud and the roaring of the sea and moaning of the wind were fearful no one spoke till at last the black edges of the shag loomed clearer the moon began to glance through the skirts of the cloud and the heaving and tossing of the sea became more discernible there there shouted young jem the widow's son the boats one where where for heaven's sake that's nothing cried markham yes yes i see both said jem the glass where's mr brown's glass markham was trying to fix his own but neither hand nor eye was steady enough he muttered hang the glass and paced up and down in uncontrollable anxiety mr ashford turned with him trying to speak consolingly and entirely liking the old man markham was not ungrateful but he was almost in despair it is the same over again said he he is the age his father was though mr morville never was such as he never how should he he is the last of them the best he would have been he was would to heaven i were with him that if he is lost we might all go together there sir called jem who being forbidden to do anything but watch did so earnestly they be as far now as opposite west cove don't you see them in that light place the moon had by this time gone down but the first great light of dawn was beginning to fall on the tall shag and show its fissures and dark shades instead of leaving it one hard unbroken mass now and then jem thought he saw the boats but never so distinctly as to convince the watchers that they had not been swamped among the huge waves that tumbled and foamed in that dangerous track mr ashford had borrowed markham's telescope and was looking towards the rock where the shipwrecked crew had taken refuge there is someone out of the boat climbing on the rocks 
Can you make him out, Jem? I see, I see, said Mr. Brown. There are two of them. They are climbing along the lee side of the long ridge of rocks. Aye, aye, said old Ledbury. They can't get in a boat close to the flat rocks. They must take out a line. Bold fellows. Where are the boats? called Mr. Ashford. I can tell that, said Ledbury. They must have got under the lee of the lesser shag. There's a ring there that the guy had put in to moor his boat to. They'll be made fast there, and those two must be taking the rope along that ledge, so as for the poor fellows on the rock to have a hold of, as they creep along to where the boats are. Those broken rocks, said Mr. Ashford. Can there be a footing and in such a sea? Can you give a guess who they be, sir? asked Robinson earnestly. If you'd only let Jem have a look, maybe he could guess. Martin's glass was at his service. Hello! What a sea! I see them now. That's Ben going last. I know his red cap. And the first, why, tis the guy himself. Don't be such a fool, Jem, cried Markham angrily. The guy knows better. Give me the glass. But when it was restored, Markham went on spying in silence, while Brown, keeping fast possession of his own telescope, communicated his observations. Aye, I see them. Where are they? He's climbing now. There's a breaker just there. We'll wash them off, as sure as they're alive. I don't see them. Yes, I do. There's Redcap. There's something stirring on the rock. So they watched till, after an interval in which the boats disappeared behind the rocks, they were seen advancing over the waters again. One, yes, both, and loaded. They came fast. They were in sight of all, growing larger each moment, mounting on the crest of the huge rolling waves, then plunged in the trough so long as to seem as if they were lost, then rising, rising high as mountains. Over the roaring waters came at length the sound of voices, a cheer pitched in a different key from the thunder of wind and wave, they almost fancied they knew the voice that led the shout. Such a cheer as rose in answer from all the Redcliffe villages, densely crowded on quay and beach, and every corner of standing ground. The sun was just up, his beams gilded the crests of the leaping waves, and the spray danced up, white and gay, round the tall rocks, whose shadow was reflected in deep green broken by the ever-moving swell. The shag and its attendant rocks and the broken vessel were bathed in the clear morning light. The sky was of a beautiful blue with magnificent masses of dark cloud. The edges were touched by the sunbeams of a pearly white. And across the bay, tracing behind them glittering streams of light, came up the two boats with their freight of rescued lives. Martin's boat was the first to touch the landing place. All saved, he said, all owing to him, pointing back to Sagai. There was no time for questions. The one-drenched sailors had to be helped on shore, and the boat hauled up out of the way. In the meantime, Guy, as he steered in past the quay, smiled and nodded to Mr. Ashford and Markham, and renewed the call. All safe! Mr. Ashford thought that he had never seen anything brighter than his face, the eyes radiant in the morning sun, the damp hair hanging round it, and life, energy, and promptitude in every feature and movement. The boat came in, the sailors were assisted out, partly by their rescuers, partly by the spectators. Guy stood up, and with one foot on the seat, supported on his knee and against his arm, a little boy, round whom his greatcoat was wrapped. "'Here, Jem,' he shouted to his rejected volunteer, who had been very active in bringing in the boat, "'here's something for you to do.' This poor little fellow has got a broken arm. 
will you ask your mother to take him in she's the best nurse in the parish and send up for mr gregson jem received the boy as tenderly as he was given and with one bound guy was by the side of his two friends mr ashford shook hands with heartfelt gratulation markham exclaimed there sir guy after the old fashion never was man so mad in this world i've done talking you'll never be content till you have got your death as if no one could do anything without you was it you who carried out the line on the rock said mr ashford ben robinson and i i had often been there after sea anemones and weeds and i had a rope round me so don't be angry markham i have no more to say answered markham almost surly i might as well talk to a seagull at once as if you had any right to throw away your life i enjoyed it too much to have anything to say for myself said guy besides we must see after these poor men there were two or three nearly drowned is no one gone for mr gregson mr gregson the doctor was already present and no one who had any authority could do anything but attend to the disposal of the shipwrecked crew mr ashford went one way markham another guy a third but between one cottage and another mr ashford learnt some particulars the crew had been found on a flat rock and the fishermen had at first sought all their perils in vain for it was impossible to bring the boats up on account of the rocks which ran out in a long reef sir guy who knew the place steered to the sheltered spot where he had been used to make fast his own little boat and undertook to make his way from thence to the rock where the crew had taken refuge carrying a rope to serve as a kind of handrail when fastened from one rock to the other ben insisted on sharing his peril and they had crept along the slippery broken reefs lashed by the surge for such a distance that the fishermen shuddered as they spoke of the danger of being torn off by the force of the waves and dashed against the rocks nothing else could have saved the crew they had hardly accomplished the passage through the rising tide even with the aid of the rope and the guidance of sir guy and ben and before the boats had gone half a mile on their return the surge was tumbling furiously over the stones where they had been found the sailors were safely disposed of in bed or by the fireside the fishers vying in services to them mr ashford went to the cottage of charity ledbury jem's mother to inquire for the boy with the broken arm as he entered the empty kitchen the opposite door of the stairs was opened and guy appeared stepping softly and speaking low poor little fellow he said he is just going to sleep he bore it famously the setting his arm yes he was quite sensible and very patient and that old charity led bedbury is a capital old woman she and jem are delighted to have him and will nurse him excellently how are all the others has that poor man come to his senses yes i saw him safe in bed at old robinson's the captain is at the browns i wonder what time of day it is past eight ah there is the bell beginning i was thinking of going to tell master ray we are not too much excited to remember church going this morning but i am glad he has found it out only ten minutes too late i must make haste good-bye may not i come too or am i too strange a figure said guy looking at his dress thrown on in haste and saturated with sea-water may you said mr ashford smiling is it wise with all your wet things i'm not given to colds answered guy and they walked on quickly for some minutes after which he said in a low voice and hurried manner would you make some mention of it in the thanksgiving of course i will said mr ashford with much emotion the danger must have been great 
it was said guy as if a strong feeling would show itself it was most merciful that little boat felt like a toy at the will of the winds and waves till one recollected who held the storm in his hand he spoke very simply as if he could not help it with his eye fixed on the clear eastern sky and with a tone of grave awe and thankfulness which greatly struck mr ashford from the complete absence of self-consciousness or from any attempt either to magnify or depreciate his sense of the danger you thought the storm a more dangerous time than your expedition on the rock it was not the fishermen who were used to such things did not think much of it but i am glad to have been out on such a night if only for the magnificent sensation it gives to realize one's own powerlessness and his might as for the rock there was something to do to look to one's footing and cling on no time to think it was a desperate thing not so bad as it looked one step at a time is all one wants you know and that there always was but what a fine fellow ben robinson is he behaved like a regular hero it was the thorough contempt and love of danger one reads of there must be a great deal of good in him if only one knew how to get hold of it look there was mr ashford's answer as he turned his head at the church wicket and at a short distance behind guy saw ben himself walking up the path with his thankful happy father a sight that had not been seen for months nay for years ray he said such a night as this and such a good old man as the father could not fail to bring out all the good in a man yes thought mr ashford such a night under such a leader the sight of so much courage based on that foundation is what may best touch and save that man after church guy walked fast away mr ashford went home made a long breakfast having the whole story to tell and was on to the scene of action again where he found the master quite restored and was presently joined by markham of sir guy there was no news except that jem ledbury said he had looked in after church to know how the cabin boy was going on and the master understanding that he had been the leader in the rescue was very anxious to thank him and walked up to the house with markham and mr ashford markham conducted them straight to the library the door of which was open he crossed the room smiled and made a sign to mr ashford who looked in some surprise and amusement it has been already said that the room was so spacious that the inhabited part looked like a little encampment by the fire though the round table was large and the green leather sofa and armchair were cumbrous however old sir guy's armchair was never used by his grandson markham might sit there and bustle did sometimes but guy always used one of the unpretending unluxurious chairs which were the staple of the room this however was vacant and on the table before it stood the remains of breakfast a loaf reduced to half its dimensions an empty plate and coffee cup the fire was burnt down to a single log and on the sofa on all the various books with which it was strewed lay guy in anything but a comfortable position his head on a great dictionary fairly overcome with sleep his very thick black eyelashes resting on his fresh bright cheek and the relaxation of the grave expression of his features making him look even younger than he really was he was so sound asleep that it was not till some movement of markham's that he awoke and started up exclaiming what a horrid shame i am very sorry sorry what for said markham i am glad at any rate you have been wise enough to change your things and eat some breakfast i meant to have done so much said guy but sea-wind makes one so sleepy 
then perceiving the captain he came forward hoping he was quite recovered the captain stood mystified for he could not believe this slim youth could be the sagai of whose name he had heard so much and after answering the inquiry he began if i could have the honour of seeing sagai well said guy i beg your pardon sir said the captain while they all laughed i did not guess you could be so young a gentleman i am sure sir tis what any man might be proud of having done and i never saw anything like it he added with a fresh start and it will do you honour everywhere all our lives are owing to you sir guy did not cut him short though very glad when it was over he felt he should not in the captain's place like to have his thanks shortened and besides if ever there was happiness or exultation it was in the glistening eyes of old markham the first time he had ever been able to be justly proud of one of the family whom he loved with so much faithfulness and devotion End of chapter twenty three